0: Hello and welcome to The X-Ray, I'm Fernando Espuelas. First, let me explain what we're doing here. There are a lot of great podcasts, and there's some really great political podcasts. But we're doing something different. We're taking a different road. We're taking a fresh look at our political system. Introducing The X-Ray, a new political podcast about political power. Who wants it, who wills it, and why a penetrating analysis of the biggest issues facing American politics. Interviews with power players, conversations with politicos, experts, and national journalists. And a special segment called X-Ray Vision, a fun exploration of the real person behind the political title. I'm your host, Fernando Espuelas, and I hope you'll join me every week on The X-Ray. For more information, check out thexray.org, and don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. The X-Ray is a project of Issue One. I'm Weston
1: Wamp, and this is Swamp Stories, brought to you by Issue One. The foundations of a lot of our current federal election laws can be traced to Watergate, Watergate very much undermined the confidence of the American people in our election laws and led to the 1974 amendments to the Federal Election Campaign Act. Current law isn't exactly the same as those amendments in 1974, but a lot of the major themes and concepts remain, ranging from disclosure to banning the personal
2: use of campaign contributions. Congressman Aaron Shock of Illinois said today he is resigning his seat in the House as a scandal over his spending habits grows all around him. Representative Duncan Hunter of California and his wife were indicted for using more than $250,000 of campaign money to pad his family's lifestyle. The charges include using the money to pay for their children's private school tuition, trips, and even included airfare for the family's pet rabbit.
1: The idea is that any elected official who takes money into a campaign account shouldn't use that money for personal use for their own personal expenditures really there's nothing novel here politicians just aren't supposed to misuse money that was given to them for campaign purposes on things like family vacation or groceries or a new pair of shoes you get the point point. and that's why from the left to the right there's no disagreement on this issue the reason of course is completely clear if any corporate PAC or wealthy individual could just give money to an elected official, it would look an awful lot like bribery. Today you hear about all kinds of packs, but the one you almost never hear about also deals directly with personal use. It's called a leadership pack. It allows members of Congress to buy suits, to visit five-star resorts, and play golf all under the guise of fundraising. This is that gray area between cash and influence. I spoke with the original creator of Leadership Packs to hear the history from the source. And when I told him about how they're used today, here's what he said.
3: I I think that's pretty outrageous. I'm surprised at it.
1: So now we're going to wade through one of the swampiest practices in politics, the Leadership Pack loophole. This is Episode 3, Secret Slush Funds. In the modern era, one man with a very famous name stands alone for his egregious violations over 10 years of almost all campaign finance laws. Jesse Jackson, Jr. Even though he was elected to Congress at 29, in fact the same year that my father was elected to Congress, the country had been introduced to him previously. He spoke at the 1988 Democratic National Convention when his father was running for president.
2: To us. He is also our father. Our father has taught us well. From him, we have learned that when confronted
0: with challenge and controversy, we must stand up for the things that we believe in, because in the final analysis, truth will always prevail. And if we do our best, God will do the rest.
1: Jesse Jackson Jr.'s rise to power wasn't without controversy, both before he was elected to Congress and after. For example, the best man in his wedding turned out to be a Nigerian drug lord who was eventually sentenced to 24 years in prison. And once he was elected to Congress, all types of controversies dogged him. He was accused of horse trading with then-Illinois Governor Rod Blagojevich for an appointment to the U.S. Senate. In fact, it was that issue with Blagojevich that led the FBI to take a look at how Jesse Jackson Jr. had been spending money, campaign money, while he'd been in Congress. And this is really when the public perception of a rising star in democratic politics began to change for good reason. My memories of Jesse Jackson Jr. were of him practicing martial arts in the house gym and just generally being a friendly, really well-dressed, young member of Congress. A guy who I admired. And once the FBI had completed their investigation, the few things I knew about Jesse Jackson Jr. were proven to be true. He had spent tens of thousands of dollars on Bruce Lee memorabilia. And he was pretty well-dressed because he'd been spending campaign money on fur coats and Rolex watches. A word to the wise for all of us is that the next time a young member of Congress writes a book called About the Money, How You Can Get Out of Debt, Build Wealth, and Achieve Your Financial Dreams, let's all agree to ask some questions at that point. After many years of living a double life, it all caught up to Jesse Jackson Jr. And that didn't mean a slap on the wrist. It meant prison time.
2: Criminal charges were filed today against former Chicago Congressman Jesse Jackson Jr. It's not not a proud day. Uh, I'm sorry I let everybody down.
1: In 2017, Jesse Jackson Jr. was released from federal prison after serving time for outlandish campaign finance violations. And pretty soon after his release, he and his mother started making the rounds on national media, telling the story of his mom never giving up on her son and writing him a letter every day while he was in prison.
0: Please welcome Jacqueline and Congressman Jesse L. Jackson. Having to turn to your mother and tell her that you're going to prison has got to be close to the worst process possible.
1: Jesse's story is just one example of how absurd campaign finance corruption can get. And it's at this point that I should also tell you that I asked Jesse Jackson Jr. to be interviewed for this podcast. And at first, he was interested. But then I could tell his perspective began to change after I told him the punchline that's coming for you also. And to give you some idea of how significant it is, He was worried that it could interfere with the narrative that he's going to share in an upcoming book. The last thing he texted me was, I need to wait until my manuscript is picked up. I don't want to show up in the press on this subject at this time. It was the leadership pack loophole that caused Jackson to hedge. As Jackson's story shows, he and his wife figured out how to live a lavish lifestyle with campaign cash. But it caught up to him. So by now, you're wondering what exactly this has to do with leadership acts. Just years after the major political reforms that came in the wake of Watergate in 1974, a former California state legislator who'd gotten elected to Congress, Henry Waxman, made an unusual request to the Federal Election Commission. He basically said, I want to support other like-minded candidates, but I don't want to do it through my campaign committee, so can I have another committee, a PAC that would be used exclusively for supporting other candidates. Little did he know, leadership packs would come to exemplify the Washington Swamp and be abused, big time. Henry Waxman is not the villain. We're not going in that direction. In fact, you're going to hear from him in just a moment. But there were unintended consequences to what he did in 1978. Stick with us. We're going to take just a short break. Hey, everyone, it's Weston Womp here. If you've been listening to Swamp Stories, then you've met a host of characters, politicians, experts, and advocates, all talking about our broken political system. That's why we're also excited to announce that we're part of the launch of a brand new network of podcasts called The Democracy Group. Eight podcasts have come together as part of this network with a unique take on democracy, civic education, and civil discourse. You'll hear from the Niskanen Center, Democracy Works, the German Marshall Fund, the McCain Institute, and other independent podcasts who are all united behind making democracy work better for everyone. You can visit democracygroup.org to learn more about the show. Sign up for the newsletter to receive the latest episodes, news, and curated playlists right in your inbox. You can also follow the Democracy Group on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. All right, let's get back to it. Now I'm going to connect Jesse Jackson Jr., Rolexes, and leadership packs together for you. There are a lot of opinions out there on leadership packs, why they exist, and why they should be allowed to continue. So I emailed Henry Waxman, the powerful 40-year Democratic congressman from Los Angeles, and asked if he'd be willing to go on the record.
3: Hold on one second. I want to put my earphones into the iPhone. Hold on a second.
1: He could not have been more accommodating, especially if you consider it was a 32-year-old Republican from Tennessee making the interview request. Until this point, I was relying on scant news reports and word of mouth to know how leadership packs really came to be.
3: I uh, came from California where I was in the legislature, and one of the things that we did, because we were in the minority, was to ask incumbent Democrats to contribute to the candidates who had a good chance to win so that we can get the majority back. In effect, we pulled some of our money that we didn't need for our own campaigns uh, for the good of the Democratic caucus to get a majority. When I came to Washington, I wanted to continue to give money to candidates who needed it for election or re-election.
1: Waxman explained to me that one of his motivations is that he would be able to give much more money to the candidates that he supported through a PAC than he could through his campaign account.
3: So I went to the FEC and said, well, I want to organize a PAC. Now, the leaders had PACs. Speaker, the majority leader, the leadership had PACs. And this was a PAC that got dubbed a leadership PAC, even though I was not a leader. I was one of the first non-leaders to organize this PAC solely so I could help other Democrats who needed financial help for their campaign.
1: Now we've heard it straight from the horse's mouth. And it all checks out. Henry Waxman had been trying to create a leadership pack for pretty benign and straightforward purposes.
3: I did that and helped Democrats that I knew were in trouble by giving them the maximum I could if I had the money in the pack. And I could also, in addition to that, give them $1,000 for each, the primary and the general from my campaign committee. And that's what I did. And I noticed that everybody started organizing PACs. I didn't think I was setting myself up as an example, but I did it. And I think that uh, other members decided they could help influence the elections to get people of like-mindedness into Congress by giving them a donation for their campaign.
1: As a point of clarification, there are a lot of different types of PACs. We're not going to get into the academic exercise of explaining what each type of PAC is and isn't. But for the purposes of understanding what Mr. Waxman's talking about, and one of Washington's most extreme loopholes, know that the campaign committee that any member of Congress or candidate for office has is governed by a certain set of rules. PACs, political action committees, are governed by a different set of rules with different limits as to how much different entities can contribute. I grew up the son of a senior appropriator, a pretty prolific fundraiser, and a powerful member of Congress. And he never felt the need to have a leadership pack. So don't buy the argument that everybody has to have a leadership pack. That's simply not true. But there's a dirty secret about the way leadership packs work that people in Washington don't want you to know. You remember the Federal Election Campaign Act that I mentioned at the very beginning of the episode? Well, the amendments to it in 1974 established a lot of the basis for our campaign finance law and created specific statutory language to prevent campaign dollars from being spent on personal expenses. But in 1974, there weren't leadership acts. Those came in 1978. The 1974 bill was focused on candidate campaign committees because that's where money was flowing and that's where they wanted to prevent the perception of corruption coming out of Watergate. By disallowing members of Congress to use campaign money on stuff for themselves. So, you see the loophole? Leadership packs are just another pack. You could have one, or your neighborhood association could start one. The bottom line is this Leadership packs, which can receive contributions larger than campaign committees from the exact same donors. The donors can even give twice to the campaign committee and to the leadership pack. Those leadership packs, Don't have a prohibition of any kind on personal use. So back to Jesse Jackson Jr. The reason he didn't want to be interviewed by me is because he realized in our phone conversations that he might have never served a day in prison had he simply made some of his inappropriate purchases on a credit card connected to a leadership pack instead of his campaign committee. Even by Washington standards of giant loopholes, this is pretty hard to believe. The fact that the same exact behavior that can get you thrown in federal prison could be conducted just through a different bank account with money from the same exact donors. That is swampy. This is the kind of thing that gets a little technical for those of us without law degrees. Or even those of us who might have law degrees but haven't studied campaign finance law.
2: I'm Tyler Cole. I'm the legislative director and counsel here at Issue 1. Before I started this position, I went to law school. And before that, I actually spent five years working on political campaigns in the fundraising department. So I know a little bit about this issue from both sides.
1: Tyler is one of the few whiz kids in the country on the specifics of leadership packs.
2: So the actual statute about personal use says a campaign contribution accepted by a candidate can't be converted to personal use. Now, to me and to many other lawyers and people in the reform community, a leadership pack contribution is still a contribution accepted by a candidate. That's what makes it that a leadership pack. is that an um, elected official controls the leadership pack? Otherwise, it's just a regular PAC. Elected officials in this country, we know you run for office every two years in the House, so you're pretty much always a candidate.
1: Tyler says that the reason that this can't be easily fixed by the FEC is that when the Federal Election Commission has looked at the issue, they effectively say Congress didn't know that leadership packs would exist when they wrote the Federal Election Campaign Act, so the personal use ban doesn't apply to them.
2: I don't think that's good reasoning, but it's the position the FEC took for years. The best we've been able to do is essentially gridlock the FEC on this issue, where we've convinced some commissioners that they have the underlying authority but not a majority. So the FEC is kind of in this gray area now. The practical reality is that to get it done, you need a statutory change because we can't convince the Federal Election Commission to act on their own. What would
1: happen, in your opinion, if a member of Congress bought a Rolex mm-hmm. with his leadership pack, and then let's say even went and told his buddies in Congress what he'd done?
2: Right now, it's not clear that anything would happen. There's no explicit rule against it, according to the Federal Election Commission. The criminal prosecution of these matters is handled by the DOJ, but typically they pay some deference to how the Federal Election Commission interprets the statute. If there's no explicit rule against it and no government agency is willing to argue that it's under their authority to make a rule against it, there's simply no rule against doing it. So nothing would happen.
1: That's what this episode's all about. Play that clip from Tyler again.
2: If there's no explicit rule against it and no government agency is willing to argue that it's under their authority to make a rule against it, there's simply no rule against doing it.
1: If you use campaign committee cash from political donors for personal use, it's a criminal offense. That's the story I told about Jesse Jackson Jr. That's the reason I told it. But if you use a different bank account, one connected to a so-called leadership pack, it's not criminal. It's not against the law. You're basically in legal no-man's land. So this clear consensus that we've always had, across party lines, across levels of government, that political money can't be used for personal use, is basically irrelevant. Henry Waxman sums it up best.
3: Well, that sounds like a loophole.
1: A giant loophole. In talking to Henry Waxman, it occurred to me, he doesn't realize there's any controversy whatsoever.
3: I, I think that's pretty outrageous. I'm surprised at it. I wasn't aware of it, although I I occasionally hear what people do and think they can get away with and then find out that they can. Uh, I never thought of my campaign committee or my campaign pack as a vehicle for personal expenses. I thought the prohibition was pretty clear that campaign money could not be used for anything you just wanted. It had to be used for specific campaign-related purposes.
1: If the man who created the leadership pack doesn't realize that there are accusations that dozens, if not hundreds, of members of Congress are misusing leadership packs to pay for junkets, steak dinners, and country club memberships, no wonder the American public doesn't know and isn't more outraged about it.
3: I I think that if that's uh, happening, it's, it's a loophole that ought to be closed.
1: So on this episode, we've laid out the purpose for personal use bans. We've demonstrated a very dangerous loophole that's being used all the time. We educated the man responsible for creating leadership hacks, and we got him on the record saying that it all should be fixed. So the question before us is this. How do we fix it? Can we fix it? So I went back to Tyler Cole at issue one with that question.
2: The criminal standard for violating federal election law is knowing and willful. So you essentially have to know the law you know you're breaking the law and say, I'm going to do it anyways. And then obviously, to convict anyone of a criminal charge, you have to prove that beyond a reasonable doubt. So that's a really, really high standard, which is why the vast majority of campaign finance law enforcement happens at the civil level to the Federal Election Commission, where they... Impose fines and penalties, and it just kind of keeps everyone on the straight and narrow because between the fines and the bad publicity, it's usually not worth it. So that leaves a huge gap. If the FEC is not doing anything, even if you were trying to rely on just the criminal penalties alone, there are cases where it's not clear. So if you take your, if you have a political event. And you pay for it out of your leadership pack funds, and you fly your family along with you, and they spend the week in Cabo or something. Sure. Are you knowing and willfully breaking the law?: Probably not, because we haven't made the clear determination as a country that, right. that that's actually violation the law. So to, to police this stuff, you really need a federal enforcement agency. You need the FEC to make it clear and to have teeth.
1: I don't want to mislead you by using the Jesse Jackson Jr. example. This is not a theoretical problem. We've got a mountain of evidence that members of Congress, on an ongoing basis, have figured out how to use leadership packs as slush funds. Just in the fourth quarter of 2018 alone, members of Congress spent $113,000 at a five-star luxury resort on the coast of Georgia, $82,000 on private jets, over $10,000 at multiple restaurants within blocks of the capitol. In recent years, Senate Majority Leader Harry Reid used his super PAC to buy almost $5,000 worth of tickets to a Las Vegas Britney Spears concert. And more recently, California Congressman Devin Nunez made headlines by using his leadership PAC to buy $15,000 worth of Boston Celtics tickets. It is commonplace that members of Congress know there's nobody that's going to come after them for using their leadership PAC money on their own personal fun. What we've got here are donors who have an opportunity, because leadership packs aren't tightly regulated, to subsidize the income of members of Congress. And it's not 20 or 30 members of Congress who have these leadership packs. More than 90% do. Now, there's light at the end of the tunnel. As promised, there's always a solution. But in this case... It's actually the easiest one that I've found.
2: From a statutory perspective, they literally have to add a comma and three words or political committee three different times into the statute. That's what it, all it would take to make it clear that the personal use restrictions apply to leadership acts and other political committees. It is incredibly simple. One of the few things in the federal law that is very simple.
1: As wild as the leadership pack scandal is, the solution is every bit as simple. All you got to do is add the same personal use prohibition, the same line of statutory language that already applies to campaign committees, specifically apply it to leadership PACs. It's like seeing the check engine light in your car come on and then you realize you just left the gas cap open. That's how easy this would be to fix. The question is, does Washington have the willpower to do it? Now, we can't have a podcast about money and politics without talking about Citizens United. And even if you're familiar with the term, in the next episode, I'll tell you about how two comedians understood, much better than Washington insiders, what a farce the Supreme Court decision really was. Thanks for listening to Swamp Stories, presented by Issue 1, the country's leading political reform organization that unites Republicans, Democrats, and Independents to fix our broken political system. Please subscribe to the podcast and share it with your friends. Even better, rate and review it on iTunes to help us reach more listeners. You can find out more at swampstories.org. I'm your host, Weston Wong. Thank you to executive producer Ethan Rome, producer William Gray, and editor Parker Tant from parkerpodcasting.com. Swamp Stories was recorded in Tennessee, edited in Texas, and can be found wherever you listen to podcasts.